we better understand the scriptures? And so um, tonight, that's where we're going, but I began to understand the Bible a whole lot more. Um, when, we, when our first daughter, Chloe, was just born, you know, you have kids and you start to go, okay, like, wow, this is, we're going to be parents, this is crazy. Um, but now we have three kids, but when Chloe was born, um, we got a Bible that was sort of recommended that I had heard other parents talk about, and it's this, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, author's name is Sally Lloyd-Jones, um, but I just heard this was good, but um, I, uh, there's sort of like this, what we're talking about tonight sort of comes up in this children's Bible, um, in the intro, and uh, I talked about this maybe once, I've referenced this Bible uh, three or four years ago in Oasis, um, but it starts like this, I just want to read this to you, this seems so wild to me from a children's book, but um, again, I hope for some of you, I think we have these, um, just these preconceived notions about what the Bible says and what it's there for and, and um, what Christianity is all about. And so let me just read this. This is how it starts. The author says, Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. In fact, that's what I grew up like thinking. That's what the Bible's there for, isn't it? It's a book of rules. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best, but... The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. This is not the Bible I'm reading from. This is a children's Bible. However, that's a true statement, and that could be uh, shocking to some of you. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes, a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero, hero, excuse me, who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There's lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you see a beautiful picture. That's pretty, like, killer intro to a children's Bible, is it not? I'm like, Wow. That, like, that's good stuff. So that's sort of where we're going tonight. I love, here's this one sentence. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. For a lot of us, we go, well, I know that Jesus is in there, and uh, Jesus is all over the place, but some of those Old Testament things... Um, that, you know, that gets crazy. If you missed last week, um, so we're in this Out of Focus series. Last week we showed a video of this guy, Ben, and, um, uh, you know, not a Brookside guy at all, but we showed this video, and his main point was this, if you remember this, if you were here. He said, if you can trust the Bible, if you can trust the Bible, like how it came together, how it came about, um, how it was written down, if you can trust the Bible, you can trust what the Bible says. Um, sort of in this series, and we just have one more week left, what our intention is, is to give you more of just a foundation and a framework for how to approach the whole Bible. 
certainly every week I want to teach you from the Bible, and we try to teach you from uh, teach to you from just one passage, and not just pull a verse out of context here or there or something. I like to pick a passage and sort of stick there. Um, but in general, for where to start, just having again a foundation and a framework, it, you guys, it is really really important. I think for you to understand sort of the big picture story of the Bible, the overarching storyline of it all. Um, now, again, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe your parents were awesome and they taught you this when you were younger or at some point in Sunday school you heard this. Um, but most of the time, we bring to the Bible like what the children's Bible said. It's a book of rules about what we must or mustn't do. Or it's a book of heroes. And you go, that's great for all those guys in the Bible. Like, good for them. But I'm not like that. Um, but that's not it either. And so uh, sometimes we feel like the Bible's overwhelming. Sometimes you feel like it's just, it's just huge, and I don't know where to start, and um, it's just boring. Uh, I don't desire to read the Bible. I'd much rather watch TV. Maybe you go, it's boring. Here's why, Brad, just because it just isn't relevant today. It's not relevant to my life. I understand I'm supposed to like, read it because I should, and um, I'll get inspiration from it, or blah, 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 but I, you just don't feel like it maybe, right? Or again, you don't know where to start. 66 books in this book. We've said that last year, so there are these human authors. But what about the overarching story? What about um, what, like the reason God had the Bible come together in the first place? And so there's the, there's the human authors, but there's also the divine author, God. Get this. So last week in the Thirst Plan, if you did this in small groups, and um, you may or may not, you know, I've, I've sort of left this in the leader's court. You may, your small group may or may not do this, but maybe some of you last week do, do have been a revelation. We talked about if you were doing that you would read Revelation 14 last week, which was sort of a crazy chapter. And so uh, my group did that. I don't think my, the guys that were here were crazy about doing that, but I was like, no, fellas, come on, we're doing it. I gave them pieces of paper, and they didn't have their journals. A lot of you guys are like, we're not going to write in some sissy journal. Like, what is this, like a diary? Like, I'm not journaling. I'm a, I'm a man. I get that. Like, fine, don't journal. But at some point, like, at least try it. Don't knock it before you try it, but whatever. So I sort of made them do it. And uh, we're in Revelation, and what's with this, this 144,000 number? Did you read this last week? This is in Revelation a lot, and um, it's like this, this saved people, you know, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, this 144,000, what in the world does that mean? And there's just some crazy stuff um, throughout the Bible, but certainly in Revelation. If you read the, that chapter, it talks about God's, like the wrath of God's, um, uh, in God's this wine press of God's wrath. And this blood, like, flowing all over the place? I mean, you're like, is, is this what I think it means? Is this like people are dying? Well, yeah, you know, I don't know. What did you write on the thing? Is that literal or is it not? Is, is there actually going to be 180 miles of blood up to a horse's bridle, which is what it talks about? Um, the Old Testament, like, you go, um, I don't know, I heard that you're not supposed to eat shellfish, that that's in the Bible somewhere, that you're not supposed to eat pork. What's with these, some of these Old Testament laws? Um, so it's important that we don't take certain passages out of context. But again, this is, we're talking about um, a framework and a foundation tonight, big picture. And we just have one more week next week. And like Ben said last week in the video, um, you're never going to have all of your answers, all of your questions answered about the Bible, probably. Um, but I really hope, and I think this will help tonight. So here are some common questions when it comes to understanding the Bible um, that people throw out. Maybe you never have, but one is this maybe. Is it just a bunch of random thoughts about God? Now, obviously, 
No. Uh, you know that if you've ever read the Bible, um, it at least reads like a narrative, most of it. There's history books. There's different genres, if you weren't aware of that. Wisdom books, poetry. A lot of the Psalms are poetry. Um, there's prophets. A lot of the second half of the Old Testament is prophets. There's the Gospels, uh, telling the story of Jesus. There's epistles. Again, sort of just Paul. Those are all uh, letters written by Paul or Peter. Um, Hebrews. Uh, there's, a po- there's apocalyptic um, sort of literature, I guess, or whatever. That's a genre in Revelation and parts of Daniel. But so there's different genres. It's not just random. Um, sometime, if you never have, um, pick up a Quran. Did I just say that? Yes. Pick up a Quran if you can somehow find one or if your friend has one. And, and see, I, I, Jeff Dart has one in his office. Um, Anyway, and just see what it's like. I remember, I just felt like it was, it didn't read like a narrative in parts. Again, I'm not here to knock the Quran. Um, I've never read the Book of Mormon. There's other like holy books. I want you to start to realize how utterly different Christianity is from other religions. And even though a lot of different religions have holy books, um, why, how is Christianity distinct? Now, one of the things, I don't know if I have time. Um, just know, if you get in an argument, and, and well, don't get in an argument in school in your, like, religions class or something, but um, most other religions, I've said this plenty, the essence, like, sort of the root of the, of the religion is um, obey, like, obey the five pillars, or you have to do uh, whatever, X, Y, and Z. And Christianity, it really, the fundamental thing is not the list of rules. Yes, there are rules, but the fundamental thing of Christianity is we're broken, we're sinful, and um, we need a savior. And who are you putting your trust in? Are you your own savior or have you placed your trust in Jesus? It is not primarily you doing good things and trying to earn your way into heaven. Um, maybe it's a topic for a different time, but uh, is it just a bunch of random thoughts? No. Um, with 40 different human authors and written over a span of nearly 2,000 years, you say, Brad, how is that possible? That seems impossible. What's wild is the fact that the Bible was put together over 2,000 years. I mean, from the time Moses wrote the early books to John in the end, um, there's this, this thread, there's this theme throughout the entire Bible, all 66 books. That seems utterly amazing, but it's true. Is it just a book of quotations? Um, no, you know the answer to that. But again, um, a lot of us act this way, or we throw out phrases in the Bible or you hear your friends throw out phrases in the Bible as if, like, what the Bible is good for is throwing out quotes. Um, maybe your dad has a quote on his coffee mug in the morning that says, um, you can do all things through him who strengthens you or something. Great verse. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a verse on a coffee cup. But um, a lot of times people throw things out. Have you ever heard this? Money is the root of all evil. Has anyone ever said that? I heard it on the news, I remember, when I was a teenager. Uh, um, I don't know if it was somebody who won the lottery or something, but the, the news person said, money is the root of all evil. Um, what's wrong with that? Why is that not biblical? Does anybody know what three words comes before that? It's the love of. So the phrase, um, money is the root of all evil, I think is actually in the text. But if you would look it up, it says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Um, money's not bad. Money's neutral. Um, but greed is a sin, uh, along with lying and, you know, whole sorts of other sins. But the root of, anyway, people just throw out things, they misquote things a lot. What I said about shellfish, that might apply. And you go, do you even know where that's found? Or um, the context around that? Or why that would apply to Jews and not necessarily, not to us today? Um, 
So context is extremely important. Finally, is it just a collection of independent books? No, I've said that already. Yes, there are 66 books, um, uh, different authors, a lot of different human authors, but they, um, they, they come together. They should not be read independent of each other. If you read only one book, if you only ever read one book in the Bible, you will have a skew of God because they flow together. And so my question tonight, if you ask, where should I begin? I would say this, begin before you ever read a book, before you ever pick a book and start reading it. Begin by understanding the overall story of the Bible. And so here's my main point. If you have a note card, I'd love for you to write this down. It's a little long. It's going to take you two minutes to do. But it's this, the Bible is one book that presents the unfolding true story of God's plan to redeem his people and the world through his son Jesus. The Bible is one book that presents the unfolding true story of God's plan to redeem his people and the world through his son Jesus. And uh, he's back there. Bryce, just leave that up there for a while. Um, to let people write that down if they need to. I'm going to go to the passage we're looking at tonight. Um, running out of time. So yes, there are 66 books in the Bible, and they have human authors. But the Bible also has the divine author, and it is, it is written by God, and it flows together. So that's why I say it's one book. Um, I've said a lot that the, old, the entire Old Testament builds this tension that does not get resolved until Jesus comes. And so if you've ever been frustrated by reading the Old Testament, much of that is prophecy of Jesus, like warning people, um, and then like giving, uh, throwing judgment on them, and then coming back and sort of being gracious again. But it's this tension of, you need a king, we need a true king, we need a substitute, we need a savior, we need a messiah. And um, they try to obey, and they fail, and then they're judged for it. And they try to obey, and they fail. Um, but it really is much like a fairy tale that's come true in real life. Like, this villain comes along and uh, destroys this perfect world, and a prince is sent, you know, um, to fight for his bride. And the bride is the church, is God's people. And um, the, the prince comes and rescues her. Where is this in the Bible? Um, I'm going to read this quick from Luke 24. You can turn there if you want and follow along. Luke chapter 24, last chapter in Luke. So Jesus has uh, been crucified and died and rose three days later. And so this is the last chapter. And it says this, that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us 
that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so he, this man that they don't know who, who he is, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So where are those books found? Somebody? Old Testament, yes. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, how many times is the name Jesus recorded in the Old Testament? I don't think once. And yet Jesus says he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself, really. So skip down to verse uh, 40. So then suddenly he goes with them. Uh, they realize who he is. He sort of makes himself known, and then he vanishes. And later on, he appears to the disciples again. So verse 40, we pick it up. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. So he's with the disciples. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written, um, again, there it is, about me. In the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which was sort of a phrase summarizing the entire Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. But the things they were fulfilled that were written about me. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that the whole Bible is about um, how he uh, he's come to redeem his people in all of creation. Um, so here's, uh, here's the outlines. Here's some blanks for your outline. So the bookend of the Bible, here's the, sto the storyline of the Bible. Top two, there's the heading. But the bookends is the kingdom of God. At the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, you see this perfect world. The kingdom, uh, you know, what, what is a kingdom? It's where somebody is ruling. And so God is ruling in Genesis 1 and, and 2, and everything is great. And again, we see this at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, the new heavens and new earth. Um, the garden has become a city, you know, and it's this, this extravagant city. But again, the kingdom of God is a theme throughout the entire Bible. Over and over again, you have God's people in God's place, where sort of he wants them, under God's blessing and reign. So for a time, that's the Israelites are wandering in the desert. Um, eventually, you sort of get to the New Testament, and so God's people is just believers, Christians, the church. Um, Where's God's place? Well, I guess his place now is, you know, sort of like we are the temple. His presence is with us. Anyway, but God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. The problem is sin. Probably guess that. Um, that's a huge problem. There was brokenness starting already in the, I mean, Genesis 3, third chapter in the Bible. Um, Adam and Eve sin. You blame Satan? Yes, you can blame Satan, but Adam and Eve still chose to do that. And so sin has ravished everything. But what is the resolution? The resolution is Jesus Christ. So again, there is this like never-ending tension, it seems, in the Old Testament. We need a king. We can't find a true king. All these kings are evil, as you read First and Second Kings and Chronicles and so on. The thread throughout the whole thing is redemption. The thread that runs throughout the entire Bible is redemption. We could... Spend so much time on this, and I'm almost out of time. This, I mean, this is the storyline of the Bible. 
You could say another four words. You've heard this before that it's, it's like God and then man. He made man. And then uh, Christ came to be this, or again, the resolution to sin. And then our response. But um, it comes across in the entire Bible. You guys, many times, you know why you don't think the Bible's relevant? Um, you know why you think the Bible's boring? I think we, we have to just face this reality. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't believe the depths of our sin. We don't understand the depths of our sin. And most of us in our world today, especially in America, everything's fine. Like you just go, my life's pretty good. I live in a great house in West Omaha. And um, my life's good. Am I sinful? No. I mean, I, I'm not perfect, but I don't think we understand the depths of sin. And if and when you ever realize the... Uh, the problem of sin and how big of a problem it is, you guys, we don't really need a savior if nobody's sinful and if you're not sinful. And so you know why the whole world just thinks like, who cares about Jesus? Just throw him in with all the other religions. It's because like we're throwing out any concept of sin. But if you look around the world, if you watch the news tonight, you know that there's brokenness everywhere. And so a lot of it comes back to that. Um, here's two things to do with this, maybe real quick. Um, you say, what should I do with this? I'm not even going to read all of these. But one of it, is, one part is just knowing this. Um, you say, Brad, what even exactly did you bring up? What I'm trying to get across primarily is that the Bible is not just a book of stories, a book of rules, or a book of heroes. It's not primarily about you, even. Um, it is not just a list of do's and do nots. And if you do the, the good list, you're going to go to heaven when you die. It's primarily this, there's a problem called sin, and you need Jesus. Uh, let me, let me um, close with this. I'm going to give you sort of one example, and this could apply to a lot of stories in the Old Testament. David and Goliath. The classic way that this is preached, and I don't mean, um, I don't mean to, you know, maybe, maybe somebody's preached in here or something at some point. The classic way that you preach David and Goliath is this, that, um, you know, David goes and slays Goliath. And so you know what you need to do? Here's the application. I need to go and slay the giants in my life. And I'm going to take five stones, just like David did, like, bravery and courage and blah, 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 and you need to kill the, the giants in your life. And that's, I suppose that's one way to preach the, the story of David and Goliath. What I think maybe that actually could point to is that you need to place yourself in the story. And so if you place yourself in the story, you guys, you're probably not David. I am not David fighting the giant. You know where we are if we would place ourselves in the story? We would be with the Israelites up on the hill, sort of cowering in fear before this great giant. We need a representative, right? We need somebody to go fight for us, which is the story actually brings out. That they say, hey, if we have to send out this representative, if he wins the battle, then they become our slaves. And if Goliath wins, then we become their slaves. But so where are you in the, in the story? Well, you're probably in the crowd if you play. Who's David? Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the one that goes and fights the battle for us and kills the only giants that could actually ever harm us. It's sin and death and guilt and shame and all that stuff. And so Jesus is our representative. He's our, our, the person we send out, and he wins the battle, right? Um, now, again, you read the story of, of David and Goliath and whatever, but if you start to see it that way, Jonah, how does the story of Jonah and the whale um, remind us of Jesus and what he did for us by dying and being in the, the heart of the earth for three days? Jesus actually quotes that in the New Testament in Matthew. He refers back. If you start to understand the Old Testament stories that way, and how so much of this points to Jesus. So you don't just pick a passage in the Bible and go, oh, I guess this is telling me that, um, 
I'm supposed to like uh, put grapes in a wine press and find blood flowing? I, I, no one would do that because that doesn't make sense in Revelation. But um, you, you need to understand this overarching storyline. And so always, 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 when you're reading a story, if you even begin to do this, put it in the bigger picture, the overarching storyline of the Bible, which involves this thread of redemption and the fact that over and over again, um, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. All right, let me pray. God, um, I thank you for this ancient book. And Lord, I, um, if I'm honest, I think of many of these students, and God, they're just overwhelmed with, um, with all kinds of stuff that they're involved in. So God, I know that for most of us, God, we don't open this book all that often throughout the week. Maybe some of us do. Lord, give us a passion for your word. I pray that you would give us um, the desire to dive into your word, to know your truth. And God, again, to not just read it like a book of rules or even a book of examples, God. You are not just our example to follow. God, you're our savior. You're our substitute. It doesn't make sense without you. And so, God, help us to engage the Bible, but God, to engage it with a Christ-centered lens. And God, to understand what that means um, I don't, so that we don't pull passages out of context and just apply them to this or that. God, help us to be students of your word. Um, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.